From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Recording in progress. a formal welcome to Torah Studies, our weekly look at the Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is Balak, and man, it is a tremendously, I don't know if you want to know what to call it, it is dramatic, just an absolute dramatic Torah portion. Um, okay, so here's what I want to do. Tonight's topic is about Jewish identity. When does Judaism begin as a thing. Now, if I would ask the question, who was the first Jew? I think everybody would answer, or many people would answer, oh, the first Jew? That is, um, what would you guys answer? Abraham Avinu. Why can't I? Uh... My mouse doesn't work. Oh, well. Uh, for those waiting to be admitted, I don't even know what to do. My mouse is not working. Yeah, the first Jew, people would say, was Abraham, correct? Abraham? Yeah. Here's the deal. Here's the deal with, uh, with, with Avram. Um, was he really the first Jew? Or did Judaism begin later? What happened at Sinai? If he was a Jew, then what happened at Sinai? Were the Jewish people in Egypt, were they, did they have the status of Jews? Were they Jews without the obligation for 613 commandments? Or was there some, or some sort of other quasi-status? These are all questions we're going to address tonight. The question at the core is, when did Jews become Jews? And... The alternative question is the following. The alternative question is, 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 hold on, I'll tell you what the alternative question is in a second. The alternative question is, um, was Moses' wife Jewish? No. No. I'm asking a question. Hold on. Was she Jewish? Did it matter that she might not have been? And who was his wife, as Linda's asking? And who was this mysterious woman anyway? Who was she? Her name was? Zipporah. Zipporah. Daughter of Yisro. Jethro. Yitro. Okay, so let's... These are all questions we're going to address tonight. If you've ever wondered about any of these questions or more, which I haven't stated. Of course I've wondered about more things. Why is the sky blue? Tonight is your class in which we answer all of the above and then some. We begin with an overview of the Torah portion, Balak. Balak is named after the king of Moab, a.k.a. Moab. I love how English does things to Hebrew names. Moab, in English it's Moab. Why? Because they can't. Anyway, so what happens? So, what, so Balak is the king of Moab, and he, is, he starts off, at the beginning of the Torah portion, he's very frightened. Why is he frightened? He's scared of the dark. Kidding. He is scared. That was a joke. Tough crowd. He is scared. He is frightened because, because the Jewish people have been advancing on the land of Israel. And he was one of the border nations. And he's seen how other nations that had tried to defend themselves, that tried to start up with the Jewish people, had been wiped out. And he thought he is next. Even though the Jews weren't going to start up with him unless he started up with them. Nonetheless, he decides he has to take 
some proactive action. So what happens? So what does he do? He hires, good, he hires an assassin. A verbal assassin. Verbal assassin. Someone should coin that phrase. The verbal assassin. That might be a good website. Theverbalassassin.com. It's a new Netflix. Oh, yeah, new, new heavy, limited. Heavy metal group. Heavy metal. Oh, or, yeah, or a band, exactly. The Verbal Assassins. Playing at uh, Masquerade. Oh, did you say Masquerade? Jinx. Look at that. Heavy metal. Yeah, that's awesome. Is Masquerade still, they moved, right? But they still exist? Who knows? All right, whatever. Uh, speaking of Masquerade, I think that's where Matisseau played years ago, right? When he slept on my couch? Well, no, I think he I think he did Masquerade. Yeah. He did it like a like a Friday afternoon, and then he was by I us. I thought he did it at City Winery. He's done a lot of ones. He did City Winery recently, but I'm talking about before when he came, when he was married, and he came with his wife and kids, and he hung out. He's a really tall dude. We had a small couch. It was fun. <laughs> anyway, back to our story. Back to our story. So, um, Balak, let's get all the names straight here. Balak, the king of Moab, hires Balaam, oh, hires the verbal assassin, whose name is, oh, also, like, it's, again, it's weird. It's weird in the, in the, um, in the English. It's, his name in Hebrew is Bilam, and the English is Balaam. Go figure. We'll call him Balaam. I'm going to concede to the English here. Balaam. So he hires Balaam, and he says to Balaam, listen, this nation is advancing. They're threatening us. Uh, they're going to kill us. They're going to wipe us out. What will be with the... You know, what about the women and children? What's going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. So we need you to go and curse and, uh, and, 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 and end the Jewish threat. That was his, his hire. Well, what happens is the story unfolds. We're not going to go through all the details very quickly. Balaam eventually takes the job. He takes the assignment. He takes the money. Although, actually, he takes the money later fascinating plot twist, which I will not mention right now. Anyway, he's, he, he agrees to do this job. He attempts to curse the Jewish people three times, and each of the three times what happens is his curses are transformed into blessings. Instead of him being able to articulate curse, curses, what comes out of his mouth are blessings. Great. So the Jewish people are blessed. But at the end of the Torah portion, the Torah tells us, the Torah alludes to the fact that before Balaam left and went back home, he told the king, by the way, if you want to know how to really get the Jewish people, like I can't curse them, but there is a way that you can get them. And for the details of this, oh, I had a whole Talmudic passage pulled up in my computer. I wish my, uh, my mouse would work right now. So awkward. Um, hmm. Maybe I can still pull it up. Hold on. Stay with me, folks. Stay with me. Oh, you know what? This is going to be weird. Uh, for those of you online, give me a second. I'm going to close my screen and open it up. This may work. Oh, yeah, look at that. Look at that. It worked. Oh, I think I kicked everybody off. That's so awkward. Okay, I think I'm back. All right. Well, I am back, but at least I can move my mouse. All right, so I want to read to you a Talmudic passage. Um, everyone here, I don't have the Talmudic passage printed out, so everyone's going to have to listen as I read it. Um, can you guys, can everybody hear me? Yeah, can you guys hear me? Good. All right, I'm going to pull out this piece of Talmud. Listen to this. Um, Balaam said to Balak, 
the following. That said Monty Python, you said? That's hilarious. Well, yeah, Balaam and Balak. Balaam is the Balaam is the is the verbal assassin. Balak is the king who who paid him, who's paying him. So Balak said the following: The God of these Jewish people despises lewdness, okay, and they desire linen garments. So random. They Jews love clothing, linen garments, as they have no new garments. Come, I will give you advice. Make for them enclosures using wall hangings and see prostitutes in them with an old woman outside the enclosure and a young woman inside and have the women sell them linen garments. Again, what could possibly go wrong? Okay, Balak made for them enclosures using wall hangings from the snow mountain. From the snow mountain? Interesting. All right, there's snow mountain here locally. But anyway, from the snow mountain, uh, the Hermon until Baal Yeshimot, and he sat prostitutes in them with an old woman outside and a young woman on the inside. And at the time, by the way, this is from Talmud Sanhedrin 106a. This is not in your booklets. I'm just reading to you a piece of Talmud. Um, and at the time when the Jewish people were eating and drinking and were glad and going out to stroll in the marketplace, the old woman would say to a Jew, aren't you seeking linen garments? Um, he would enter the enclosure and ask the price. I feel like this is like a t-shirt shop. Right? Like you go to... Chinatown, and you're like, oh, hey, cool, I can buy some tourist stuff. They have like little like little booths or whatever. Anyway, um, so aren't you seeking linen garments? He would enter the enclosure and ask the price. The old woman would quote him a price equal to its value. The young woman would quote him a price less than its value. So they were like, higher pr- a price, a lower price. That scenario repeated itself two or three times. And thereafter, she would say to him, you were like a member of our household. I'm assuming they, they, the people would make multiple purchases. It didn't happen in one day. So then eventually he, they would say to him, uh, you are a member. You are like a member of our household. Sit and choose for yourself the merchandise that you want. And a jug of Ammonite wine was placed near her. And neither Ammonite wine nor Gentile wine had been prohibited yet for Jews. She said to him, "Is it your wish to drink a cup of wine?" Once he drank the wine, uh oh, that was it. His evil. I'm adding the yeah. the uh oh, that was it. His evil inclination burned within him. You with me so far on this? I'm just reading you straight from the Talmud. Yes. yes. Talmud Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin 106a. Okay. It was a loss of inhibition. Yeah, good. So, yeah. He then said to her, submit to me. He then said to her, submit to me and engage in intercourse with me. She then removed the idol that she worshipped from her lap and said to him, worship this. He said to her, am I not Jewish? I can't worship an idol, (laughs) obviously. I am therefore forbidden from engaging idol worship. She said to him, what is your concern? We are asking you to do nothing more than defecate in its presence. That was how they worshipped the Baal. Okay, but he does not, it's a whole thing. But he does not know it's yet. But he does not, the original, the original people, by the way, were so intensely, they were so in awe of the Baal that they couldn't hold themselves in. Like physically they lost control of their, of their bodies. Yeah, etc. But later generations like, oh, that's how, you, that's how you worship it. And that became the thing. So she said, oh, it's not a big deal. All you do is that in front of it. But he does not know that its worship is conducted in that manner. What is, how does a Jew know how you worship a Baal? Seriously. So he, she's like, nah, yeah, that's all you do. He's like, okay, well, that's fine then. So once he did so, she said to him, moreover, I will not leave you until you deny the Torah of Moses, your teacher, as it is stated. But then, when, uh, okay, um, they div- and that's kind of it. So they were engaged in matters of nonsense, prostitution, and idol worship. And that's what happened. Okay, so this is, uh, that's a Talmudic piece. I felt like uh, um, sharing all of that. Oh, Yaakov writes, they lost control of their bowel movement. That's actually yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Bowel, that's very good. Yeah. Very good. All right, impressive. Um, <laughs> all right, I hope no one's eating. The point is like this. The point is like this. 
that um, this is all, all of this, yeah, <laughs> going strong. All of this, all of this, listen, it's Babka. All of this is what Balaam, the verbal assassin, advised Balak, the king of Moab, to bring about the Jewish downfall. He said, how do you get the Jews down? Right, entice them with the linen garments, then some wine, then some women, then some idols, bada bing, bada boom, and, and that's it. And what happens is, the Jews begin sinning. In fact, a big contingency from the tribe of Shimon began sinning. Now, we are about to get into our first text inside. I'm gonna put this up on the screen in a moment, uno momento. Um, so if you have a book or if this booklet is in front of you, please open up to text number one. So what's happening before we hit text number one, this is very important. Before text number one, we're encountering the, um, we're encountering Jews that are, um, that are, there's a plague that breaks out. The plague breaks out because Jews are committing acts of immorality and acts of idolatry and all that stuff. And someone, someone needs to stop it. And we'll see soon how a hero emerges, a hero by the name of Pinchas. How do you pronounce it in English? Phineas, Ferb wasn't available. Text number one, I am going to share my screen. Um, Ed, if you don't mind, please read text number one. Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill the men who attach themselves to Baal Peor. That's the name of the, uh, that's the, name of the idol, Baal of Par. A Jewish man came and brought a Midianite woman to his brethren before the eyes of Moses and before the eyes of the entire congregation of the children of Israel, while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of the meeting, tent of meeting. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the son of the Kohen, saw this, arose from the congregation, and took a spear in his hand. He went after the man into the chamber and drove his spear through both, the Jewish man and the woman through her stomach. And the plague ceased from the children of Israel. So, the, thank you. The Jews are sinning with Moab, with um, Moabite and Midianite women, and those two nations where they were in cahoots against the Jewish people. They were sinning with immoral acts of, of immorality. They were sinning with acts of idolatry. A plague is breaking out, and then, if you look again, I just want to highlight what I read in verse number six. A Jewish man came and brought a Midianite woman to his brethren before the eyes of Moses and before the eyes of the entire congregation. What that means is, here you have a Jewish man who publicly is acting in a, is engaging in an act of immorality. It wasn't like, let's sneak off into a tent somewhere, right? The desert's big, I'll meet you. you know, this is right in front of Moses and the people. And so the question is, who was this Jewish man? And who was this Midianite woman? And why, why did they sin as it were in front of the eyes of Moses and the entire people. And so here is where the Talmud fills in this information. The Talmud, in a different tra uh, place in Sanhedrin 82a, the Talmud fills in exactly what was going on. Um, let's read text number two. Joel, please read, <clears throat> please read text number two, uh, nice and loud. The tribe of Shimon went to Zimri, the son of Salu, their prince, and said to him, they are executing our men, and you sit here silently. What did he do? He gathered 24,000 people and went to Kazbi, a Moabite 
a Moabite princess. So just just to clarify here, so sh- the tribe of Shimon, I think I mentioned this parenthetically, the tribe of Shimon, there was a lot of men from Shimon who had been engaging in untoward behavior, and thus they were, uh, they were uh, getting plagued so and getting executed. So they went to their, their, their prince, their leader, Zimri, and they said, hey, what, what's, what's, what's the plan here? All, our, our men are getting killed. So he gathered a bunch of people and went to Cosby, who was a Moabite princess. Now, she was not a Moabite princess. She was a Mid- Midianite princess. I don't know why they put some fake news into that bracket right there. The Torah calls her a Midianite princess. I don't know who did the, uh, the bracketing over here. She was the, the Midianite. I'm pretty sure she was a Midianite princess. Huh? Not to me, there's no difference, but I'm just fragged. In case, well, in case somebody, in, in case somebody was paying, no, 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 no. There's no actual difference. I'm just the reason why I mention this. In case someone paid attention to text one, where it says that a Jewish man brought a Midianite woman, then text two calls her a Moabite princess. Somebody might say, "Hey, was she a Midianite or a Moabite?" And my answer is a Midianite. Okay, continue. He said to her, "He said to her, do my bidding." She replied, I am the daughter of a king. All right, you don't have to do voices. Oh, no, yeah, just, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I, am the, I am the daughter of a king, and my father instructed me to only give myself up to the leader of the Jews. He said to her, I too am a tribal prince. Moreover, I am greater than Moses, for I am the second son to my father, and he is the third child to his father. He grabbed her by the, the, her mane of hair and brought her before Moses. He said to that, him, Son of Avram, is this the woman permitted me? Is, it, is this woman permitted to me or forbidden? If you say she is forbidden, who permitted you to marry the daughter of, of Jethro? So this was this was a, a, a very terrible moment, where the leader, literally the leader of the tribe of Shimon, at the behest of his tribe to do something about what was going on as far as the punishment. So he goes to Cusby, who was a, a, Midian, a, a Midianite princess. He says be with me. She says, no, I, I, I need the leader. He's like, I am a leader. He grabs her by the hair and takes her to Moses. And this is in front of a crowd. And he calls Moses Ben Amram, son of Amram. He doesn't say, you know, Baisha Rabbeinu. It doesn't call him by, son of Amram. It's very disrespectful. Very disrespectful. He says, is this woman permitted to me or forbidden? And then he, before he answers, he says, if she's forbidden, who permitted you to marry the daughter of Jethro? In other words, I can't be with a Midianite woman. Uh, pretty sure you married a Midianite woman. Boom. His wife was a Midianite. Moses' wife was a Midianite. So he says, can I, can I be with her? Now, understand this. Understand the context is very different. Moses married her. That was before Sinai. That was like a lot of things were different when Moses met Zipporah and married her. This was not in the context of marriage. This was the context of, I don't know what it was, in the context of sin, in the context of all sorts of untoward things. And this was, again, also post-Sinai. But this was a very terrible moment of a confrontation of Zimri kind of putting Moses on the spot. And the truth is, the way the story goes, is that Moses freezes well, Aaron's not around. Everyone else freezes until the one guy that we read in text one that I, um, that I read before. Well, Pinchas, he saw what was going on and he said, I'm going to end this right now. And he took a spear and he did the old shish kebab. Sorry, he, 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 he speared through both. They were together. He speared through both Zimri 
and Cosby in an act of zealotry, spiritual, religious, Jewish zealotry. It's one of those things, do not try this at home, but he did it, and the plague actually ended at that point. In fact, next week's Torah portion is called Pinchas, and it opens up with God saying essentially thank you to Pinchas for ending the plague and ending this, uh, this craziness. But I want to focus on the accusation. Let's focus on the accusation. Zimri schleps this uh, Cosby, this Midianite woman, to Moses in front of all the people, and he says, is she permitted or forbidden? And if you say she's forbidden, then how is your wife permitted to you? So two, two things, two points, or two questions. Question number one, what's the answer? Okay, so I'm saying I gave a little bit of answer, but like, what's the answer? Question number two is, how come Moses, nowhere in the, in the record of this conversation, do we see that Moses actually answered the question? Moses doesn't actually give a response. Why doesn't Moses answer the question? And, and of course, what is the answer? Okay, the simple answer, as I said, is that, well, Moses, number one, married her, but then you could say, well, how could he marry a Midianite woman? Here's the deal. The simple answer is, that was before Sinai. Before the, this was, just to recap what happened. How did Moses end up marrying Zipporah, a Midianite woman? Moses was born to a Jewish family in Egypt. He was born prematurely. So his mother's due date, you know, the, the, the Egyptians were only going to come around in the ninth month, but meanwhile he was born a few months early, right? So his mother was able to keep, keep everything on the lowdown for a few months. But then when month number three came around, he was born in like two or three months premature. When third month came around, so his mother realized she can no longer hide him. She puts him in the basket, floats him on the river, and he's discovered by, I'm just going over right, stuff that we all know, discovered by Bacha, the daughter of Pharaoh. She takes him in, and ultimately she raises him as her own child, raised in the palace, raised really as Pharaoh being the Zayda, and it was, it's a crazy story. Well, the Torah tells us that one day Moses sees an Egyptian man beating a Jew, and he intervenes, and he actually kills the Egyptian, and then the word leaks to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh realizes Moses has flipped, right? When I say flipped, it means, you know, now he's aligning with the, with the Jews, this is dangerous, and he puts a warrant out for Moses' arrest, and uh, really puts a bounty out to kill him. And so Moses escapes, he runs away, he leaves Egypt at the age of 40. This happened at the age of 40. Moses leaves Egypt and runs away to Midian. And in Midian, that's where he meets these, uh, these girls at the well, and they're being harassed by the other, these are shepherdesses, they're being uh, harassed by shepherds, uh, by the guys, and so he rescues them, he's all chivalrous, and the girls come back home, and they say, this, this guy helped us, and father says, where's the guy? We left him by the well, bring him home, let me meet him. And you know, one thing leads to another, and he eventually marries the oldest daughter, whose name is Tzipor. And he lives there for 40 years, from 40 to 80. At 80 years old, that's when God appears to him at the burning bush. And then he goes back down to Egypt, around 80, maybe 79, whatever, 80 years old. And then he does this thing in Egypt, uh, you know, Pharaoh, plagues, etc., Exodus. And for the last 40 years of his life, he leads them through the desert. He lived 120 years, 40 in Egypt, 40 in Midian, and then 40 Exodus and beyond. You with me so far? This is the, the quick bio of Moses. 
So again, Zimri, Zimri, who's the tribal leader of, of Shimon, Zimri is saying to Moses and to everybody, well, to Moses, who permitted you to marry your wife? Why can't I be with her? Again, it wasn't like a real question. It was like an accusation. So what's the simple answer? Again, Moses doesn't answer, which we're going to try to grapple with toward the end of the class. But one thing we know is that uh, the context was different. As I just explained, Moses married Zipporah 40 years before Sinai. Right? He married her when he was 40 years old. And the exodus only happened when he was 80 years old. So, uh, you know, he, he married her 40 years before Sinai. What was the status of the Jewish people before Sinai? What was the status? That's how we started today's class, huh? They were slaves, right? Yes. Um, would there be the question? Yeah, they were Hebrews. Good. The question is, would there be a status? Would they have a status of Jews, right? That would make, uh, that would even raise the question of marrying a Midianite. You with me on this? Or would you say, huh? You with me on this? In other words, is there even, if they're not officially Jewish, they can marry whoever they want. Right? And it's only post-Sinai now that Jew, Jewish identity becomes a thing. So it seems like that's the answer. The difference is, the core difference is that before Sinai, there wasn't yet a definition of Jewishness, which would then make, you know, marrying a Midianite woman, you know, the, the notion of did she convert, did she not convert, it, it may, might be irrelevant altogether, because again, this is before Sinai. Whereas the story in our Torah portion takes place post-Sinai, post-Sinai now, you can't just, you know, you have to have a conversation about, you know, her status, whatever, etc. In addition to the difference between the marriage and the not marriage, it would be a question about, pre-Sinai or post-Sinai. But that leads to a bigger question, and that's what I want to focus the discussion for the rest of the class on today. If we posit that before Sinai, and Sinai is the, we're making Sinai as, as the moment in time where the Jewish nation, where Judaism, Jewish obligation, Torah, becomes a binding, you know, that, that becomes a thing. Before that, it's like, there's no Torah, there's no, it's a, it's a very loose affiliation. So if, if, that's, if, if the Jews became Jews at Sinai, the question is, did they have to convert at Sinai? Understand my question? Was there a conversion that happened at Sinai? Was there some sort of mass conversion that happened at Sinai? Or, or there, was there another process? I mean, if they, what was your status basically before Sinai versus after? And if they, had an, if they did not have a Jewish status before, and then they had a Jewish status after, clearly they have a Jewish status after. If they didn't have before, but they have after, then it seems like they would have had to have a conversion. The question is, did, it, did a conversion process actually take place for the, for, the, for the whole lot of the Jewish people? That's question number one. Question, are you with me on the question? Was there a conversion at Sinai? Question number two. Question number two is, if they did indeed convert to Judaism at Sinai, did they then have to remarry their wives? Jewishly. You with me on the question? Because if they were married before and they did not have the status of, they didn't have Jewish status, and then they converted at Sinai and became Jewish, well then Jewish law says that if one converts to Judaism, then one ought to undergo 
a Jewish marriage, right? So the question is, did everyone have to remarry? Did, was that a thing? You with me on this? Third question. Third question. You ready? This is wild. A Kohen is not allowed to marry. A male Kohen is not, not allowed to marry a woman who converts to Judaism. It's a thing. It's one of the, it's one of the biblical laws. A Kohen cannot marry a woman who converted to Judaism. Did all the Kohanim have to essentially separate from their wives and not remarry them after Sinai? You with me on the question? If everyone had the status of converts at Sinai, you guys with me on this? If everyone had had a status of convert at Sinai, so they had to remarry, but the Kohanim couldn't remarry their wives because Kohanim can't marry converts. Now, plot twist, they were also a convert. They were also converts at that point in time, but they can't marry a convert. Male Kohanim cannot marry a female convert. Well, wait. Or divorce that, right? That doesn't make sense. If they themselves... Only the, only the high priest. Uh, if they themselves... No, 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 no. You're right. Uh, divorce as well, yeah. Say it again. It's not doesn't make sense. You're saying because they, they themselves were converts. Right. I understand that, but if they still had the tribal status of a Kohen, a Kohen cannot marry, which is weird because how could a Kohen be a convert? I mean, under normal circumstances, the whole right. So really, my question is, what's going on? Yeah. I have three specific questions, but really the question is, what's up, Doc? Like, what's going on over here? Like, this doesn't make sense. What's, what? The real question is, what was the status before Sane? Were they Jewish? If they weren't, did they convert at Sinai? If they converted, how did they convert? And if they converted, did they have to remarry? And if they had to remarry and they converted, did the Kohanim have to leave their wives and marry someone else? Like, and, and who would they marry if everyone was converts? They had to then marry someone from the next generation? What's going on here? A lot of questions. By the way, these are not my questions. I know I'm asking them. But these questions don't originate with me. These are questions asked by classic commentaries trying to get a handle on what is going on here? And again, all of this is stirred by Zimri, the tribal leader of Shimon, who starts poking at Moses, saying, hey, this woman, fine, right? Because if not, what about you and your wife? And we're saying, whoa, 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 one second. Time out, time out. Forty years before Sinai, Moses met his wife. That seems to be in a different category. Really? Really? So that's a different category? So then... There was a conversion. Did conversion actually happen? Did remarriage happen? Did the Kohanim have to separate from their wives? What's going on? You with me on the questions? Don't ask me to repeat them. because But these are the questions. So maybe that's why Moshe couldn't answer. There were too many hard questions. He had to think about it. Yeah, maybe he was uh, still thinking when when Pinchas is like thinking. Ta-da! Boom. Right. So, yeah, could be. There's a lot of questions here. A lot of questions. It definitely threw him off balance. It definitely threw Moses that direct accusation. You know, hey, he's just the scene of him dragging one by her hair. It's horrific, right? Is she permitted to me? And if not, what about your wife? I mean, that's like, that's very, that's very uh, jarring right there. So let's look at some commentaries to try to figure this out, to try to figure out what is going on with, um, with this. The first text we're going to look at is Rashi. Text number four. Okay, this is a very important text. Rashi. All right, Charna, please read Rashi. Text number four. This is Rashi on 
Um, this is Rashi on uh, Sanhedrin 82a, the excerpt that we read before. Take it away. Moses married Zipporah before the Torah was given. When the Torah was given, all Jews had the status of Noahides. They all entered the yoke of the commandments, and Zipporah, along with them, as well as many converts from the mixed multitudes who joined them when they left Egypt. I'm going to leave this on the screen. I'll leave this up on the screen, and, and everyone can look at it also as well in your booklets over here. Um, what is Rashi saying? Help me out here. What is Rashi saying? How, what, what was Moses, what was his status? What was Zipporah's status when they got married? Someone help me out here. What's going on? What does Rashi say? So they had the status of Noahides, which means they weren't Jewish. Which means, which means that not only was Sipor not Jewish, Moses wasn't Jewish. Are you with me on this? This is a bomb. Is it a bomb? Or we've been discussing this all night? Doesn't sound like a bomb. So all the Jews were Noahides. That's what Rashi says on Sanhedrin. Right? Again, Moses married Sipor before the Torah was given, 40 years. I'm just going to read, right? When the Torah was given, all Jews had the status of Noahides. All Jews, by the way, would include Moses himself, right? They all entered the yoke of the commandments. That would be at Sinai and Sipor along with them. So what Rashi is basically saying, what Rashi seems to say is what we've been saying all along, which is that, yeah, Moses married Sipor. Uh, what, a Midianite woman, how you... Because no one was Jewish. Everyone was a Noahide. It wasn't a thing as the Jewish people. Now, we say that Abraham was the first Jew, but uh, does it mean he was legally Jewish, officially Jewish, or like Jewish? That's what I was thinking too. I mean, don't we say that that, uh, Abraham and Yitzchak were all, they were were studying in yeshivas? What were they studying? Well, they had, yes. So they had had their own. So Abraham, it says, yeah, they were studying in yeshivot. They had like schools, and they, they, they knew some Torah, they were doing mitzvot. They had, their, they, had, they had people, they had people, there were people. There were, there were other... They didn't get any credit, no. So they studied, there was some sort of form of Torah that they were studying, you are correct. It says this everywhere in the Talmud and the Midrash. However, the question is the official Jewish status. Seems, according to Rashi, we're gonna have a few different opinions here. According to Rashi, it seems that that was not conferred upon I guess to distinguish, let's just call us, pre-Sinai, the children of Israel, that Jewish status was not conferred upon the children of Israel until Sinai, until they accepted the yoke of mitzvot and then became formally Jewish. So what Rashi says is basically Moses, Tzipporah was a Minyanite. Moses was, I don't know, an Egyptian, a fellow Noahide. They got married and at Sinai, they all became Jewish. Big deal. You with me on this? Which then leads to my other question. So then was there a conversion? Did it happen automatically? Like at Sinai, did they have to do something? Did it just like naturally evolve? Or was there some other? And, and if they had to convert, did they have to remarry? And what about the Kohanim, as I asked earlier? Let's take a look at text numbers. Let's keep on rolling. Let's take a look at text number six. This is from Rabbi Yaakov Emden. And this is also a very relevant text to look at. All right, Jamie, if you don't mind reading. Before the Torah was given, the notion of conversion was not applicable because all people were equal, meaning everyone had the status of Noahide. Thus, conversion didn't apply here. The only change was that the Torah was given. Thank you. Rabbi Yaakov Emden has a very hot take. Listen to this. 
He says, and it's similar to what we've been saying, but there's a little bit of a twist here. Look at this. He says, before Torah was given, conversion was not a thing. What were you converting to? There was no institution of Judaism. You with me? Yeah. Judaism, yeah. Judaism begins at Sinai. Well, the institution of it. The institution of Judaism begins at Sinai. So before Sinai, what are you converting to? How are you converting? What's going on? Every Look, all people were equal, meaning everyone had the status of a Noahide, similar to Rashi. But look at this. Thus, he said, but he says a little bit further, conversion didn't apply here. In other words, hold on, hold on, hold on, time out. At, he's answering question number one. Question number one is, so if there are Noahides, then what happened at Sinai? Did they convert? He, he says, no, conversion didn't apply here. You're like, well, hold on, if they're Noahides, of course they converted. No, he goes the other way. He says they were Noahides, thus obviously they didn't convert at Sinai. And if you're thinking, what? Had they become Jewish? He says the only change was that the Torah was given. When no one's Jewish, there's no conversion into a thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, didn't yeah. exist. Didn't exist. Right. So you don't can right. Well, so here's the thing. So you have individuals that have the status of Noahides, like everyone else in the world, right? And then the Torah is given, and that creates Judaism. You don't have to convert at creation. You you with me on this? In other words, when the when you launch the nation, whoever's at the launch is launched. Conversion is post that. If you want to get in, now you have to convert. Does that make sense? You're saying, you're saying that the launch makes the change. The launch itself, Torah being given itself, makes the change. You don't have to go through a process of conversion. I asked a very specific question before. Did they have to undergo, at Sinai, did they have to undergo the process of conversion? Mikvah, etc. Did they have to undergo a process? I, didn't, I don't think I said the word mikvah, but that's what I meant. Did they have to undergo the process of conversion? According to Emden, it seems like they wouldn't, or they didn't, have to undergo the process of conversion because what he says essentially is like this, that when you have Judaism already as a thing and someone is not born Jewish and they want to become Jewish, so then there's a process. But if no one's Jewish and then God gives the Torah and creates Judaism, well, then that's how that happens. You don't need to convert because it didn't exist. I thought it did but not as an institution. Well, that's what he's saying. It didn't really exist. But by the way, we're going to end kind of, this is not the only opinion. Yeah, if the, we're going to end in a place where, you'll, where I think ties into the way you're, you're seeing it. But this is Rabbi Yaakov Emden's, uh, this, was his, uh, this was his thing. I saw somebody write about a, a desert, a mikvah in the desert. There was a mikvah in the desert. As we said, I think I explained this last week. The Red Sea. The ro- no, the rocks. The, no, maybe also, but cl- no, but clear in, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to get there in a second. Yes, but you should know, for 40 years they had a mikvah because they had the water from the rock was big enough, not big enough, the water was, there was enough volume of water that they drank and they bathed and they clothed and they, and they, um, they cleaned things and they had, that water went to the mikvah. It wasn't all the same collection of water. They channeled it to different places. Anyway, had the status of stream water. That's one of the reasons why Moses was punished for hitting the rock because when he hit the rock with the wrong stick, he rendered the waters that came out from it impure and they couldn't be used for a mikvah. Some say that that's what he did. That's why he got in trouble for hitting instead of speaking because he rendered those waters impure. That's a different point. Save it for another time. Back to our topic. Back to our topic. The question is, did they convert at Sinai? 
According to Rabbi Yaakov Emden, they did not have to convert because the definition of conversion means when you already have an institution and somebody wants to join, then they have to convert in. But when there's no institution and it launches, it's called launch, not conversion. It may be semantics, it may be semantics, but he says there's a difference. Judaism was launched at Sinai. Everyone at launch was launched. Conversion, okay, now we talk about conversion. But you didn't convert at Sinai. Judaism was launched at Sinai. It's just a different word. Yeah. Isn't there something, I, I keep on hearing this, and I'm, I, may, I may have it completely wrong if I have, then forget it, just, just write it off. But isn't there some kind of line somewhere where Hashem says, be into me as a people, was some line like that in, in the Torah? You know, where, where, where it's sort of like it's declarative, here's the launch, here, now it's official. Before Sinai, God says, like you are chosen, treasure people. Yeah. He said, okay. Yeah, that around Sinai, happen. yeah. Around Sinai, there's that declaration made. Yeah, it's Is right around there. That, that, that would be, yeah, a court, it seems like that would be the launch. And according to Rabbi Yaakov Emden, if you're at the launch, if you're part of the group at launch, that's it. That's how you cross over into that status. Someone who now wants to join, now there's a formal conversion process. But if you're at launch, so essentially we're still where we were before. How did Moses, so Moses had the status of a Noahide, his wife had the status of a Noahide. They all were at launch and they all launched into Judaism. So far, so good. Yes. Um, so the mixed multitude that they talk about that, that followed the Jews out of Egypt, so they, they were also became Jewish. According to this, they were at launch. Exactly. As long as you're at launch, that's it. You, you, you're, you're, you're in that moment. The switch goes off. Boom. There's a new thing that's launched. A new status is conferred. And that's it. Now, after that, so now that's, now that's already been established. Now someone who's not part of that group wants to join, no problem, here's the process. So now there's a process to how to join. But if you're at launch, that's it, you're there. Okay, if it's not so simple, trust me, it's not so, that's not the only opinion in town. Take a look at text seven. This is Nachmanides. All right, Linda, please read text seven. Hold on in a moment, let me just get ready, get my screen ready. This is from Ramban Nachmanides, take it away. The sages in France say that everyone had to convert because it was before the Torah was given and they were not yet Jewish. I, however, do not agree. It is my opinion that from the time that Abraham entered the covenant of circumcision, his children were Jewish and distinct from all other nations. Well, thank you very much, Nachmanides. Now it's complicated. I'm glad you got that text, though, because that was kind of yes. the way you were feeling. <laughs> right, so one second. So, But let's break it down. Let's break it down. Before we, before, we, before we analyze, let's just understand the words that he's saying. He quotes the Tsar Fatim. Sarfati means the Frenchies, the Frenchies, the the, the French, the the, the the French rabbis. By the way, who were the French rabbis? Rashi was French. The Tosafists were French, right? Yeah, his grandson. Yeah, yeah. So they were all French. So he he's he's saying the sages in France say that everyone had to convert prior to the because everyone was not Jewish prior. Everyone was a Noahide, and at Sinai they converted. Okay. He says, I personally, and he was Spanish. Was he Spanish? Yeah, he was Spanish. I, however, he says, don't agree. I believe that from Abraham's time, already there was something called Judaism. And, and Jews were distinct from all other nations. What happened at Sinai was, I, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Um, I don't want to. I still will. I didn't say I won't. I said I don't want to. Ah, I wish I, I wouldn't. I'm still going to do it. So it seems like he's saying, <laughs> don't hold me back. What seems like he's saying is that from the time of Abraham already, there was a Jewish status, but maybe the Torah 
and the mitzvot obligation wasn't formalized until Sinai, but there was this, this sort of institution of Judaism. Abraham is the first Jew, not symbolically or not uh, uh, um, uh, I forget not. Literally, he is the first Jew. Judaism begins with Abraham. So the Jews do have a status, which then raises the question, what about Sipporah? What about his wife? If she wasn't born into a Jewish family, how did she, well, she marry Moses? So what happens? And then maybe you'd say maybe she converted individually before, uh, you know, when they got married. Maybe you could say that. Understand what the, the point here is that we have a, a few different ideas. Let's keep on rolling forward. Let's keep on rolling forward. Let's look at the Talmud. Right? All of these that we've recited, that we cited are commentaries, post-Talmudic commentaries. Let's look at the Talmud itself. And as we'll see, the Talmud itself has its own indication. Hey, Karen, it's great to see you. All right, let's jump in. This is text 8a. Elio, please read this one. Rebbe says, the offering of a convert is derived from the verse, as you are, so shall the convert be, Numbers 1550. We understand this to mean that just as your ancestors entered into the covenant through circumcision, immersion in the ritual bath, then a sprinkling of blood on the altar, so too do converts today enter into the covenant through circumcision, immersion, and the sprinkling of blood, which requires an offering. Now, just to clarify, we don't have a, a temple today, so there's no offering. But theoretically, there's three rituals that happen upon conversion, at least for a man, obviously, circumcision, immersion in a mikvah, which is for everybody, and again, a, 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 um, a sacrifice, which also will be for everybody, but we don't have that at all today. All right, that's 8a. So, and this is derived from the verse of Numbers. It says, as you are, so shall the convert be. Look at that verse again. As you are, so shall the convert be. If somebody wants to join Judaism today, they do it the same way as you are. In other words, the same way you did it. Ah, the Talmud itself implies that there was a conversion that happened. Um, and Maimonides clarifies where and how it happened. And Leo, I think, I think you were referencing this. Um, I think you were referencing this uh, maybe a little bit before we talked about the, the Red Sea. It's Text. Yeah, well, it's a little bit different, okay. but but in spirit you were referencing it. Text AP from Maimonides from uh, Rambam. Take it away, please, as well. Yeah. Israel entered into covenant with God with three acts: circumcision, immersion, and offering a sacrifice. Circumcision took place in Mitzrayim before the Paschal sacrifice, of which the passage states, "No uncircumcised person shall partake of it." With the exception of the tribe of Levi, the entire nation had until then neglected the covenant of circumcision and. Egypt, so Moses, our teacher, circumcised them right before they participated in the sacrifice. Immersion was performed. Hold on one second. Yeah, go ahead. Immersion was performed in the desert before the giving of the Torah, as the passage states, sanctify them today and tomorrow, and have them wash their garments. Sacrifices were also offered then, as the passage states, and he sent the youth of the children of Israel, and they brought burnt offerings. They offered sacrifices on behalf of the entire Jewish people. So Maimonides, Rambam says, that yes, there was a conversion, essentially, that happened at Sinai, or right around that time. So the circumcision, the bris, right? What are the three things that are needed for, for conversion? Circumcision, well, that happened in Egypt. Immersion in a mikvah, well, that happened right before the giving of the Torah. God says, immerse your garments, wash your garments, which is an allusion to also immersing themselves, not wearing garments, but in the mikvah. And then uh, the sacrifices, 
there were sacrifices around the time of the giving of the Torah at Sinai. So the Jews did all three things, and that's actually the source for, ha- for the protocol to do conversion today. Conversion today, I mean, conversion has three elements, circumcision, immersion, and sacrifices. We don't have sacrifices today. Only men have circumcision, so essentially it's mikvah. Now, uh, mikvah and, and bris for, for a man, and obviously one has to be committed to Torah and to Judaism, etc., which is where the learning and the studying and you know the time and, 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 and the rigorous testing takes place for conversion to happen. But essentially, these are the protocols. These are the actual um, protocols. These are the actual uh, ceremonies that take place to make the conversion. What's, what's important from all of these texts? or from these two texts of the Talmud and, and Maimonides, is that what we see here, it seems pretty clear that, Jewish, that the Jewish people did undergo a, a conversion process, a real legitimate conversion process at and around Sinai, right, right before and, and at Sinai. They, went, they, they got circumcised, they went to the mikvah, and they brought sacrifices, and thus it seems clear, again, there are other opinions as well that have to explain this Talmudic piece a little bit, you know, maybe less literally, but if you look at the Talmud literally, the Talmud seems to indicate that they did convert to Judaism at the time, which implies that they were not, they did not have Jewish status, which is why Moses could marry Tzipporah and she didn't need to do a conversion because everyone was, none of them were, had the Jewish status. And then at Sinai, uh, they did a conversion. Well, here's the next question. If they did conversion at Sinai, right? Did they have to get remarried after Sinai? And could the Kohanim stay married to their wives? We don't find any indication that there was a mass renewing of the vows, as it were, after Sinai. We don't find that. In a case where, and I, I know cases like this, where a couple converts to Judaism, they, they have a Jewish wedding afterwards. So the question is, did the entire Jewish nation have Jewish weddings after they converted Sinai. There's no record of this. If it actually, when I say there's no record, you can say, well, the Torah doesn't say all the details. Sure, but the Talmud, the Medrash, and there's nowhere in, in the narrative, right, in the oral narrative, the oral tradition, does it talk about these, mar- the, 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 these, these marriages, which seems to clearly indicate that they didn't happen. But if the Jews converted at Sinai, now it seems like clearly they did convert formally. It wasn't that they, they were at launch, but they converted and they had to go through specific protocols to convert. Then the question is, if they converted, then, then where's the remarriage? They would have to get remarried. What's going on with that? And here we have the big idea of today's class. And this is going to be the rugged shover. The rugged shover, we've quoted the rugged shover, Rabbi Yosef Rosen. He lived in the 18, mid-1800s to the early 1900s. He was a genius par excellence. And he explains how the truth lies somewhere in the middle. They weren't Jewish, but they also, they weren't fully Jewish. They also weren't fully Noahide either, even though we had some people say that they were Noahides. It doesn't mean that they were literally Noahides. There was a distinct status that the descendants of Abraham had that was unique and distinct, but still not fully Jewish. Which is why they need, I'm, I'm giving you the overview that we read inside, which is why they did need to convert at Sinai, but once they converted, they didn't have to remarry their spouses. Why? Because the conversion really affirmed their prior Abrahamic Israelite status, as it were. So they weren't fully Jewish, 
but they were partially, and then when they converted, it kind of confirmed retroactively that they were already Jewish, and thus they didn't need to get married again. They weren't Noahide, they were Nogahide. I didn't get it. All right. 11A. Text 11. Text 11A. Text 11A. Marnin, please read this one. Uh, page 205. Hold on one second. I'm just getting to it over here. All right. Take it away. The truth is that the status of Abraham's descendants was somewhat indeterminate until the Torah was given. After the Torah was given, they became Jewish retroactively. Okay. The proof is that Talmud, you vote. Yeah, forget it, yeah. Tell us. Tells us that the mixed multitudes alone have the status of converts. But if all Jews converted at Sinai, they not all have the status of converts. We must therefore deduce that the Jewish people became retroactively Jewish and did not have the status of converts. So what it means here is like this. They did convert, but when they converted, they weren't considered converts. They... <laughs> It's, like it's hair splitting. It's hair splitting. It's hair. Yeah, it's this is this is also classic Ragachover. He this is how he his mind was like finding very fine ideas and, and then slicing them in half. He's bas- he basically says like this before Sinai, the Jewish people had a unique status. They weren't Jewish yet formally. They weren't though completely not Jewish either, because they had this thing, this family thing, this bond with God, this covenant with God. There was a covenant that had been created with Abraham and his descendants, as Linda said, from the beginning of today's conversation, right? So there was something there, but it wasn't yet formalized. So when they formalized it at Sinai with the circumcision and the immersion and the sacrifice, so they did formalize it, but that didn't create a new status. It just kind of concretized and formalized the quasi-status that they were already enjoying prior. So therefore, like this, There was a conversion, but it wasn't a new status, and therefore they could stay married, and the Kohanim could remain also married to their wives. Are you with me on this? Yes. You can have your cake and eat it too when you study the Ragachover. All right? Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait a second. Hold on. Time out. Time out. But how could Moses marry uh, Tzipporah? Time out. Tzipporah, one second. Was Moses, Moses' wife... She was a Midianite. So, if he's sort of Jewish. What was, if he's sort of Jewish, but she's sort of not, then, 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 then that's an asymmetrical, then did she convert? Did she not convert? What was the status with that relationship? So the Ragachavar says something brilliant. Which nation was she from? You know the answer. Which nation was she from? Midian. Where did the Midianites come from? Abraham. Bam, bam, bam. Midjan is one of the, the nation of Midjan. <laughs> the plot twist. The nation of Midjan is one of the descendants of Abraham's latter children. Latter children? Not, not the ones climbing. No, his later, latter, later children. The ones that he had with Keturah slash Hagar after Sarah passed away. He had a bunch, a bunch of other kids. And though from those children also descended the nation of Midian, which means like this, and, and just stay with me because we're right, this is the end. So stay with me. What that means is, if we, if we go like the Ragacharo, which we're going to tonight, so that means that the Abrahamic family has a unique space. 
They're not Jewish because there's no Judaism. Torah hasn't been given. It's not formalized. But they're not like no fully Noahite either because there is a covenant, there is a relationship, there is a, a unique status. So it's like it's carved out. When the Jews formalize it at Sinai with the process of conversion, it's not like they converted from scratch. It's kind of like they just affirmed retroactively that what that was was actually Jewish. So that's why they didn't have to remarry or whatever. What about Moses and his wife, who was a Midianite? So what was her status? She was also from the Abrahamic family. Therefore, she was also grandfathered, or in this case, grandmothered, I don't know, whatever, grandfathered in with her Alter Zayda, her great-great-grandfather, Abraham, Papa Abraham. You with me on this? Now, what about Cosby Zimri? grabs this Midianite princess by the hair and says, who permitted her to you and not her to me? Right? If she, is she permitted to me? If not, what about your wife? The answer is, because post-Sinai, now you need a real conversion. But pre-Sinai, she was from the Abrahamic family, and thus, she could also be included with that whole thing that we explained before. Does that make sense? All right, so now let's read the final text, 11b, and then we're going to get to the punchline. Okay, this is the final text right here. 11b, I'm going to read this one. Um, we might suggest that the same applies to the nation of Midian, at least pre-Sinai, inasmuch as they also descend from Abraham and their ancestor was born to Abraham after Abraham was circumcised, right? He had his children with Keturah after his bris. He wasn't from Ishmael. That happened before, right? It was from post-circumcision. Post-circumcision means bris. Bris means covenant. It really means post-covenant. So she was also part of that special covenant. Also, their mother converted. Also, their mother converted. Their mother meaning Hagar, Keturah. She also converted. Therefore, Midianites who converted when the Torah was given were also deemed Jewish retroactively. And this was the status of Tzipporah, Moses' wife. So Moses marries a Midianite. Okay. That's three M's. That's a lot of alliteration. Or not a lot of alliteration. That itself is alliteration. It's just straight up alliteration. Moses marries a Midianite. What's going on? Yeah, he's not fully Jewish. She's not fully Jewish. They're both quasi-status from the descendants of Abraham. When Sinai comes around, everyone converts. Moses and Tzipporah included, which doesn't confer new status, but only kind of affirms what we all kind of thought about the status anyway. Retroactively, it means that they were always Jewish, so they don't have to remarry their wives. The Kohanim could stay married, and Zimri is still in the wrong for schlepping this Midianite princess into the tent in front of everybody. You with me on this? We're back to the question that was unanswered. How come Moses didn't say all this? Why didn't Moses say any of this? Why did he just, and I said before, psychologically, he's thrown off balance. You know, he got caught off guard. He was accused. It was a whole scene, etc. There's another answer. And this is the takeaway from tonight's class. In addition to understanding the status of the Jewish people before Sinai, which I think has come up in many classes, many times I've been asked this question by some of you perhaps, and, and, or I've asked the question myself, is what, what was the status? When did the Jewish people become a people? Well, now you know tonight, at least one opinion, one take on it is, it happened formally at Sinai, but there was already a quasi-status from the times of Abraham that got confirmed at Sinai. Are you with me on that? So that itself is a beautiful lesson of clarity and maybe dayenu. But we're going to go further one half a step. Why didn't Moses answer this? He said nothing. And here's a lesson in life. Not every accusation needs to be answered. You know, sometimes, in the language of the previous Rebbe, some questions are questions that seek answers. And some questions, other questions, are questions that themselves are the answer. 
You with me on this? Sometimes you ask a question to get an answer. Sometimes you ask a question to make a statement. You don't want an answer. You want to make a statement. Zimri, the tribal leader of Shimon, who schlepped this Midianite princess to Moses and the people and says, is she permitted? And if not, who permitted Tzipporah to you? That wasn't the question. That was not a, it wasn't a question. He wasn't seeking an answer. He wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a, an inquisitive question, a curious question. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. The statement was, I can do what I want. And you can't tell me. Because look at you. Look at your checkered past, Moses. If that is your real name, Ben Amram. I'm kidding. He didn't say that. I'm just, I'm just embellishing right now. Anyway, right? So that's, that's what it's... In life, as I'm sure we've all encountered this, sometimes people ask you questions in good faith. And sometimes people ask accusatory questions. This is one of the big things in communication, in relationships. Make sure your questions, if you have a statement to make, then ask yourself, should I make the statement? But don't couch it in the form of a question. That's dishonest. It's destructive in a relationship. It's a setup. It's a gotcha. You with me on this? Yeah. Oh, was that a real question? Sorry, um, I'm just checking in. Um, that, wasn't a, that wasn't a setup. Right, sometimes we ask questions to make statements. Right, why, why, why wasn't the milk put away? Are you asking? Are you saying, are you saying, yeah, you're saying, what's wrong with you for not putting the milk away? It's a simple, simple question to think about. Is it a real question or is it a statement and an accusation? Don't, first of all, don't accuse. Second of all, don't accuse and couch it in. I asked the question. It's not a question. It's not a question. Zimri didn't deserve to be answered because he wasn't asking a question. He was accusing Moses of impropriety. Okay, it's an accusation. It's not true. It is what it is. It's not a question. You have to answer all accusations. And so my takeaway from tonight, you can take away whatever you want. We talked about a lot of things. So you're free to take away whatever you want. My takeaway from tonight is, is to think about, you know, before I ask a question, you know, whatever relationship, whatever context it is, before, I'll just make it safe for myself, before we ask questions, (laughs) before we ask questions, let's ask ourselves, what's the question here? Am I actually asking a question? Am I making an accusation and trying to soften it up? But which makes it worse? Because now the person is on that weird space of, do I answer this? Like, are you, are you actually asking? Are you telling? Are you demanding? Are you accusing? Like, I don't know where we, I don't, I'm not sure where we are. I don't feel safe in this conversation even because I, 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 don't, I don't know where this is coming from. Healthy relationships require healthy communication. And healthy communication is predicated on people being honest about how they feel and what they're saying. It doesn't mean to be brutal. It's not what I'm saying. But if you have something to say, say it. If it's nice, if it's not nice, then then maybe don't say it. But don't couch something nasty in the form of a question and say, well, I just asked the question. Because that's not honest. That's not fair. And don't feel compelled to answer such a question. Moses didn't. You don't have to. Just make sure there's a Pinchas next door. (laughs) 
Yeah. Question. Kidding about that. Or not. <laughs> or not. Maybe. All right. That concludes our lesson for tonight. Hope uh, you enjoyed it and, uh, and learned from it. Joel. So Questions and comments? So sure. it looks like with all the different opinions about Moses and his marriage, that it looks like we've reached the happy medium. Uh, uh. Was that a question? The happy medium. And that was definitely a statement. That was not a question. But you're with me on the question versus statement thing. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah. who did the thing? I'm like, oh, I'm not, no one's answering that question. And I'm like, yeah. scream that. Yeah. Children of Abraham and Keturah. Did yes. Hagar? Yes. Okay. Some she had two IDs. Yes. A lot of them had also look at Yisro. Yisro, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had them. Yeah. I mean, right. Is that why we have so many Judas? So it's it's interesting. Yeah, so the question is, yeah, that is a theory that that oh. Buddhism, Eastern religion, comes from some of the descendants of Abraham. It says that he sent his children east. east. And he sent them with gifts. And it says gifts of wisdom. And so there is a theory. Again, I don't know that anyone can actually confirm it. I think it's impossible to confirm. But there's a theory that uh, the gifts were gifts. That, 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 do you remember that? Adi Gozlan. Adi Gozlan. Probably my first or second year here. He did Kabbalah Yoga. Were you there? You were there. So he did a Saturday night. Yes, he did an Aleph. I, oh, this guy from Montreal. This guy from Montreal came and he did Kabbalah Yoga. So I'm going to show you my favorite, my favorite letter. He did Kabbalah in the pose of Hebrew letters. My favorite is, is the Vav. That's it. I'm here all week. I'm here all week. The Vav. No, but the Aleph. Look up Kabbalah Yoga and go, Adi Gozlan. A-U-D-I Gozlan. Oh, Aleph is like, you know, you do, um, it's like a warrior pose. Is that, did I make that up? Is that a thing? Where you go like, Do I look like an Aleph now? Am I getting this right? <laughs> oh, left hand up. And you need a spear like pink so wait, so we did it on, sorry, for like we did it on a Saturday, and yeah, everyone's like, Aleph, sit down, sit down, it's great, you got it, you nailed it. Um, a tzaddik would be uh, complicated. I threw my back from a kuf, <laughs> I kuf too hard. Here's the, and oh, hey, look at that, look at that, is that him? Hold on, who is that? Adina Malka, is that from him? She, she has the original chart. She dug it up. That's unbelievable. She dug you dug it up. That's amazing. Of course it's <laughs> Unbelievable. Adina Malka, you get that's that's pretty I'm just that's I take off my hat to you. That's amazing. So he came for Shabbos. His sister lives in Toko. His sister is um his sister is the daughter, right, the daughter of his parents, yeah. No, I forget his sister's last name. Anyway, that was, that was not my joke. That was Joel's joke. I'm just saying that was not mine. Um, although, if, if you're laughing, it was definitely mine, yeah. So he, so he was in Togo for Shabbos. He did a Saturday night in the old building, 928 Pots. He did a Saturday night Kabbalah yoga situation. And then Sunday morning, we did an actual yoga. No, so he spoke about the concept and the philosophy. And then Sunday, he actually did, he led a yoga workshop where was it? Your, your was here. It was here, yeah. in this building. 
It was when you were there. It was in Urban. I was there. It was in, yeah, it was in Urban Body Studios. 7.30 Pants. The first Chabad activity in this building that we're in right now was Kabbalah Yoga downstairs in the room now that's immersion whatever fitness uh, from the from the next door. There's the long room that was for the men. He, did he, and then maybe the meditation room he did for the women. He couldn't he do it at the same time. Did, did one after the other, yeah. both in that same space? I did it. It was interesting. First and last time doing yoga. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I'm not going. I was just saying that was like, it was quite the experience. I was not, I didn't stretch enough. Let's just put it that way. There was like <laughs> much more stretching. That, but the point that, of bringing him up was that he brought, that Abraham sent people yeah. to the east and, and, and he had a whole bunch of proofs. And You're trying to bring it back to an actual point. Oh, Fine, yeah, if yeah, you yeah, insist. Yeah, yeah, so he spoke about, yeah. he spoke about the theory that, um, that the Eastern religions philosophy is all derived ultimately from Avram, and therefore it has, even though it's not necessarily monotheistic, but it it does circle around a lot of the core concepts. And so, somebody asked, you asked about Jubus, yeah, Jubus, yeah. yeah so that you know, Jew, Judaism and Buddhism, you know, there are some there are there's some crossover there. I mean, there's a lot that's not crossed over, but there is some that is, and some say that it's because of that. What's interesting, I also think, is that he, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Rabbi uh, Label Wolf talks about that in one of his uh, CDs. Yeah, yeah, Rabbi Label Wolf also, yeah, that's interesting. What's, he also mentioned that uh, the, the breathing in, in, in Buddhism is, or the meditation or something, there's a Brahm, Brahm, Brahma, Brahm, Abraham, that's the theory. The theory is that that word is related to, there's a lot of words. Okay, so that's, again, I don't know the word in one to know, but there's, there's again, there's this theory. Brahman. Brahman. Okay. That's from the, that's where the, the, Indi, the Indian people. Exactly. The, the Brahmins are, are the high priests of the, uh, the whole. Oh, the high priests. Oh, Brahman. So yeah. maybe, so I think he was theorizing that it was named after, might be, who knows, named after Abraham, who was the head of the clan initially. Um, but yeah, so there but it turns out what we've seen tonight is that Midian was also from the descendants of Abraham and therefore was also on some level part of the part of the whole thing. They but it was still required to do a conversion, and just circling back for the details of the class for whatever reason, just to have clarity. So they, there was a conversion that was needed, which then retroactively worked to confirm everything. And so Tsipara and Moses, they were all in the same category. Anyone after that would need a more formal conversion process. And clearly, um, what Zimri was asking was not a question, but just making a public declaration and trying to stir the pot and cause problems. All right. Excellent. Always. Questions, comments? I, I have two comments. Yeah. Well, one comment and one question. One is the comment is that it, it, um, Abraham and Isaac, they took their wives from the... From their families, right? The relations, right? Um, I mean, that, 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 that from their mishpacha, yeah, the, yes. That furthers the understanding that we are all one basic tribe Sied. called the called the Ivrim, called the the Hebrews. The other, I have a question though. This Midianite princess, it seems that she was taken by force. Uh, yeah, it could seem like that from the text that we read, but it seems like that's not exactly the way it happened. 
Um, and other sources that indicates that she went willingly, even though it says he grabbed her by the hair. I think it was more of a dramatic flourish. Again, it's not. I'm not. Oh. I'm, not I'm not. I'm not making it sound any. I'm not trying to, to, um, to sugarcoat it. Just saying, it seems like it wasn't. Uh, it was. It wasn't um, uh, non-consensual. That's what it seems okay, like from other right. sources. Yeah, Fred. There, there are certain character traits that have been passed on from our forefathers to this day. And uh, Abraham saw that they were more prevalent in uh, Isaac, and Isaac saw they were more prevalent in Yaakov, and Yaakov was concerned at his deathbed about his 12 sons. So those characteristics from generation to generation, I think, is what makes a Jew from Abraham. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It says, the Talmud says there are three traits that are um, hallmarks of, of, a, of a Jew. It says they are... Generosity, I think. Yeah, generosity, yeah, generosity is one. They are ba bashful is the other one. And there's one more. What's the other one? What's the third one? Gomle chasadim baishanim and... Bashful, generous... Really? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I know. I don't know. Bad, yeah. And then there's a third one. And the fact that Talmud says that if someone doesn't have these traits, you got to wonder, like, mm, are they legit or not? I, not that we should be wondering, but like, it's just it's an interesting thing. But yeah, it's it's it, yeah. So there is some sort of um, some trait, and that trait was around. Those traits were around even before Sinai. Compassion might be the same as maybe compassion different than generosity. One is feeling and one is giving. Actually, yeah, I don't know. We have to look up the Talmud. Um, fetching, yeah, right. The third one's fetching. Yeah, um, three traits of Jews. Stubbornness. You, uh, oh, here we go. Here we go. They are merciful, humble, and love to do kindness. Oh no, merciful, bashful, and love to do kindness. So merciful, someone said compassionate? I did, I did. You said it. So in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it is, um, what's the Hebrew? I don't have the Hebrew here. It's from the Talmud Yavamot. All right, whatever. It is what it is. Fine, good. All right, um... Rabbi Harry? Yes. Thank hey, Steve. You. Yeah. Um, I just, you may want to point this out, or I'm doing it right now. Book 64 is available on Amazon. Yeah. But, We're going to put in the but email. Be careful, because they're also selling book 63, and it's very close to each other. So make sure you get 64. Yeah. So just to clarify, this is the book that we just concluded. Uh, Torah Studies has four different um, uh, seasons throughout the year. So we just concluded this book. Next week, we're going to start the next one. Which looks a little bit different. Um, this is 64. Oh, that's it. You got 64. It's the green one. Yeah. So you can find it on Amazon. We'll put the link in next week's um, Torah Studies email. We'll put the link there and we'll get all that stuff going. All right. We'll see you all next week, if not before. Take care. Laila Tov. Shabbat Shalom. Good to see everybody. Thanks for joining. And thank you all for joining here. You guys are awesome. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at Intown Jewish Academy. 
New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.